folks, if you enjoy our guidance about the management trinity, getting to know your people, talking about performance, asking for more, pushing work down, and our tools are helpful, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation. The ideal way to learn about implementing them is to come to one of our effective manager conferences. One day, we cover all of the major topics. You practice feedback. You practice coaching. You practice delegation. I can't tell you the number of times people have said to us, wow, I thought I understood the tools. And then when I had to practice, I realized I've taken it to another level. Come to the website, check out our conference schedule, see us all over the U.S. and in Europe and in Asia and in Australia. See you there. Welcome to Manager Tools. Today we cover part two in our series on the management trinity. Here we go. We're going to continue our conversation about the management trinity and some of the underlying thinking. Maybe you can be a little bit shorter and less long-winded this time. Uh, maybe. I, 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 I yeah. try to be short and concise in my in my thoughts. but If you uh, work for me, I'd give you feedback. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, folks. Uh, if the passion didn't come through in the last cast, if it doesn't come through in the next one, and the next one, the next one, the next one, and 20 years from now, you don't hear our passion for this stuff, that's when we got to hang it up. Yeah. If you're a manager and you're listening, we want you to be better and we want your best every day because someday we might work for you and you have an ethical obligation to the world to give everything you can. But don't, don't hide your light under a bushel basket. There you go. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any danger of anybody accusing us of doing that. <laughs> so, I think the bushel basket is burning. <laughs> yes. Good. So, okay. So we talked a little bit about, not a little, we talked a lot about the, the teachability of what we described and the fact that we've gone out and looked at great managers, figured out what they've done, and then boiled it down into teachable behaviors. And so right. this week we're going to talk more about that. And right. just just upfront, for those who, who may not have heard the first cast, I mean, there's really four things we're, we're going to talk about. We're going to start on one-on-ones, but you know, we're going to talk about great managers, know their people, exceptionally well, right? That's that's the thing that all great managers and leaders do. They talk incessantly about performance with their folks. They regularly ask for improved performance from their folks, and they all focus on growing organizational capability. And so those are the things they do. So we're going to talk about that and what those teachable equivalents of that are. And right. So we'll start with one-on-ones, which is all about knowing your folks exceptionally well. Yeah. Great. The great managers and executives and leaders, whether they be diplomats or sports heroes or any, you know, anybody who's in a leadership management role, the ones we have known, the observed, the ones we've observed or coached or trained, they know their team, their people, their directs and their skips, and maybe even beyond significantly better than their fellow and therefore less successful peers. We ought not to call them peers. We had to call them contemporaries because they're not peers. These people are peerless. Right. They but know significantly they're, better, right? Significantly yeah. better. Yeah. It's not, it's not a matter of having a little bit of a plan and knowing your folks a little bit better. It is, I know my people backwards and forwards and fellow managers say they know them, but really, really don't. Yeah. What their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, where they live, their family. Not even just know their family, that they got five kids. They know the names of the kids. Right. Their, their goals, their history, where they come from. 
what they want, when they want it, why they want it, you know, in terms of their careers. Um, they know which of their colleagues they get along with well and why. They know the ones that they don't like and and why. They know how they respond to stress. And they know that beyond just whether they respond to it well or maybe not so much, right? Yeah, They exactly. understand why they don't respond well or what kind of stress appeals to them, whether they will be appealed to by fear of failure or whether they want, they can seek, the, you know, they want to seek a reward or whatever it might be. And what we learn in watching the great ones over and over again, no matter how they get there, right? Their directs have offered them the information that they have about the directs. They offer it to them directly and specifically. The manager doesn't guess at it. They don't have to build a picture of this person based on half comments and surreptitious questioning and so on. They know this stuff and they know it because they've made a plan to get it and they get it and they have that information in order to make them more effective. They don't know them better because they're better at the banter in the hallway that every manager always says, oh, I talk to my people all the time. It's not that. They know them better because they make knowing their team of directs a key part of their strategy for getting the most out of them. Some of them would say, well, I had a boss who did that to me. Others would say, the one thing I would want from my boss is please know who I am. And if you know who I am, I will give you everything I got, right? right? Regardless of how they came to it, what we know is these people know their teams better than anyone else around them. Yeah, regardless of whether they're naturally inclined to do so or not. Right. Right. Yeah, look, and look, they would never dream of leaving this kind of critical knowledge. They consider this critical. This is the first thing that they want. Got to know my people, got to know my people. Now, a lot of them get at it by hiring people they've known for years. And that's one way to do it, right? They would never dream of, of leaving this kind of important knowledge up to the, the happenstance of, you know, again, oh, I talk to my folks all the time. They're totally systematic about it. They make a habit about it and they stick to it. They don't try to create a personality profile that uses their own kind of made up language to do it. Um, they know they're not psychologists. They ask direct questions. They don't shy away from asking about non-work areas because that knowledge rate r- relates to work. And, and your point is such a big one. And, and I'll tell you what, I didn't know this. I didn't, I didn't get this when I was 21, 22 and 23. And I regret it. I mean, and, and yet I was like, I'm sure so many other managers, they don't do this stuff, quote, naturally, unquote, because they're people persons, quote, unquote, and they, quote, just like doing that, getting to know other people kind of stuff. They're not HR people that want to put together parties at the at the Mexican restaurants, everybody have margaritas and everybody have a good time and sing kumbaya. They do it. The effective ones, the effective managers and guys we know do all this relationship stuff. For a simple reason. And there are some of them that say, oh, yeah, it's my relationship stuff. And they kind of poo-poo it, right? They don't see it as I'm a relationship person. They do it because they have learned it makes them significantly more effective than managers who don't do it. That's really what it boils down to. Regardless of how they get there, and there are different ways for each of them to get there, they say, I know I'm better than everybody else when I know my people better than everybody else. In fact, I got to tell you, the effective managers and leaders we know are not, at first glance, natural people persons. Okay, some are, and, and some are not. There's no correlation there that we can see. But the correlation is they're all really effective. So it's not being a people person or, or quote, focusing on people that matters. What matters to them is being effective, achieving the right results. And that means what they've learned is the better relationships they have with their directs, they directly improve their chances of becoming highly effective, achieving the right results. You know, that's what we've learned. And, and it's no more complicated than that. 
And I, I had an aha and said, okay, we've got to come up a way for the average manager to have a great relationship with their direct. Right. Rather than saying you could try A or B or C or D and have some young manager spend three years figuring out what way works for him, right? We say, let, let's figure out some way, some method, some teachable equivalent for the, for the in-depth personal knowledge that these highly effective managers and leaders use to be effective. Yeah, because they all do it in different ways, right? Our solution we're going to talk is, is one-on-ones. We're going to talk about that in a second. But not every manager, effective manager and leader out there does one-on-ones the way we talk about it. But they do something. And you can't recreate 15,000 different ways of building relationships. Yeah. My thought was, how can uh, we, how can I uh, help every other manager achieve the results these folks do when, in fact, they know other people better than everybody else? And it was very obvious. Come up with a teachable process, a teachable program, a teachable equivalent to help any manager create a relationship with their directs. Now, look, when we say this at the conference, I remember the first time I said it, there were a couple people who came up to me afterwards and says, ooh, don't you think you're letting the cat out of the bag there? You're afraid that people are going to learn that not every really, really great manager or leader does it this way? And I'm like, what are you nuts? I mean, look in your own organization. Don't you, don't you know somebody who's at the top of your organization who's just a fabulous manager and leader who doesn't do one-on-ones, right? Look, if that were the case, if you had to do it exactly the way every effective manager or leader did it, you couldn't do it because they all do it differently. What we've done is say, okay, we know what it is that's the com- the correlative factors over and over and over again. What we know is it starts with knowing your people well. And we've just figured, okay, let's figure out a way to make it easy. I mentioned electricity before about the difference between seeing a light bulb and understanding electricity and current and so on. There's the classic theory, which is voltage equals amperage times resistance, right? E equals IR. I think, I think I've got that right. Voltage equals amperage times resistance, right? E equals IR. Well, okay. It's important for you to know that. Well, some physics teacher, some electrical engineering, some juice teacher figured out that he, he or she would say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, E is equal to IR. And all of a sudden, his, his students did way better on his tests because they remembered the E equals IR equation. And I don't want to say that one-on-ones are a mnemonic, uh, like e, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. But if it helps more people learn how to get to the core issue that we're teaching, by gosh, we're going to do it. Right. And so when people, when a couple people come and says, Oh, the cat's out of the bag. So look, I'm being blunt. We t- we're telling you exactly the way it is. This is a teachable equivalent. We don't care if you do it this way or not, but if you're in the desert and we have an oasis and we have water and you say, well, I'm not sure that, that Jack Welch drank at that oasis. I'd like to find the oasis that Jack Welch drank at. Fine. Good, Good luck. luck. Crawl, crawl on. Right? right. But we know this one will get you to the next oasis. There's no question about it. So, so look, we came up with a teachable process or program. And, and in that case, in this case, in the case of relationships, which we know is the big kahuna, the 900 pound gorilla for great managers and leaders, it is the one on one. It is our recommended teachable equivalent to what great managers do about their people. And, and let's be more specific here, even though this cast is not about the details of the individual tools. Uh, it's a weekly half hour meeting. There's a specific agenda. We have some easy to remember rules to apply to it. Anybody can do it. The reason for the fact that anybody can do it is we want everybody to do it and we didn't want to make it hard. Okay. It embodies all those key values that great managers know and rely on in terms of their quest for effectiveness around knowing their people. It doesn't teach finance, even though great managers and leaders often are very good at finance. It teaches the 900-pound gorilla, which is people, right? It's designed specifically for you as a manager. 
to encourage a relationship with your direct. It doesn't make you a financial wizard. It will not make you Six Sigma qualified. It will help you get to know your folks. And all the Six Sigma in the world won't make you a great manager and leader if you don't know your folks. Okay? And I'm picking on Six Sigma. It happens to be a great program, and I highly recommend it. Okay? The way human beings move toward great relationships, open, trusting uh, relationships that lead to those moments of teamwork that you just think are magical. The way we do that, the way we get to relationships built on trust is to communicate regularly and frequently. Okay. Sometimes managers say, Oh, I communicate with my people regularly. You know, once a quarter we sit down and we talk. Yeah. Okay. That's not frequently enough for it to be a relationship. Uh, that's a drive by. Right. And look, think of it this way, folks, since communication is what the listener does, And bosses have power, which distorts normal relationships. The one-on-one that we have created is built around the direct. And the reason we say that is because we've tried the one-on-one in a number of different forms over the past 15 years to get into its present format. Those of you who have been listening to, we'll talk about feedback in a moment. You know that we started out and we had a four-step feedback model. We have since suggested that there's also a starter feedback model. We've also rolled out the peer feedback model. We've talked about systemic feedback, shot across the bow feedback. Um, all of those things have been ongoing developments as we've continued to help managers and leaders in the field get better at achieving results for the organization. The bottom line is the one-on-one, the manager tools one-on-one. And by the way, there are other one-on-ones out there. There are some people who say, Mike always corrects me when I ask, hey, how many of you are doing one-on-ones before we started at the conference? And everybody raises their hand. He says, well, okay, but now let's find out. How many of you are half hour and, and they're once a week um, and it starts with the direct and about half the hands go down? I said, okay. <laughs> so half of you are doing one-on-ones, right? The manager tools one-on-one was created to make it easy for you, a normal manager, to have an effective relationship, not with your whole team, by the way, but with each one of your directs. Whether you like people or not, whether you're a talker or a listener, whether you're an organized engineer or a messy sales manager, it works for everyone. Right. And again, we're not saying that every great executive we know does one-on-ones or the rest of the trinity the way we do, right? Right. They don't. Right. I mean, some do. In fact, some of the people who are listening right now do. You know, Eldon Schaefer does. Brenda Shamalock does. Dan McGuire does. Paul Nato does. Cedric Watin does. Nicole Pennington does. Rob McElroy does. But the vast majority of, of great executives don't do one-on-ones following the manager tools way because our way is inferential based on getting you to their ability to know their people exceptionally well. This way works. It doesn't mean it's the only way. The great ones know their folks, and we created one-on-ones to give all of us a way to get to great relationships. One-on-ones are the teachable equivalent of great relationships, and it's something you can use right now. And, And I mentioned we tested it. We watched the results. We tried monthly, just so you know. They don't work as well. We tried biweekly. And then we tried the other biweekly because bizarrely, biweekly means both twice a week and once every two weeks, which just seems enormously frustrating to me. We've asked managers about their success with hour-long one-on-ones and 20-minute long one-on-ones. We've tried it. We've recommended it. We've tried other locations with many managers, and they told us what their results were. We've tried the 15-15 agenda versus the present 10-10-10 one. We've asked managers who didn't take notes what they thought. We asked managers who took notes what they thought and why which one worked better. And basically... We're sharing all of it with you for free because we want you to be better. And frankly, we want to be better too. And we know that books about generalities don't get us there. And the fact that there is some risk in teaching and creating one teachable equivalent that one person could stand up and say, that's not the only way I'm prepared to have thousands of managers say this way worked for me. 
and then have one management theorist say, well, that's not the only way. I mean, you know, credit goes to the person in the ring. We're willing to say this way works. You, you can carp at it. You can say, I have a different way. Great. We want you to use your different way if your different way gets you to great relationships with your folks. Good. Okay. So that's one-on-one, which is only one part of the Trinity. Yeah. So we've also found that great managers communicate incessantly about performance. And this is where the manager tools feedback model comes in. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about this for the last six months or so as we've been going through monthly conferences this year that that um, the groups are a little bit smaller. We're able to visit more with people. And really, you know, we, we, we were scared of the volume that could happen when 500 people want to come to every one of our conferences because then we won't be able to talk to people individually and it'll all be arm's length. But one of the things I know about our Trinity is that different parts appeal to different people. And, and, and one way of looking at that, that, that the, the cloud versus the silver lining is everybody's going to be angry at some part of the, of the, of the Trinity, right? And, 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 uh, there are some people who go, Oh, good. I have a way to get to know my people and it's organized and, and so on. You know, the high eyes of the world say, Hey, great. I get to have a meeting and, and it's all about people. Wonderful. And, um, you know, there are some people who say, God, you know, another half hour from the high D say a half hour for my people. Why do I need that? I'm just, they just need to do what I tell them to do. And if they'll stay out of my office, I can get my work done and that'd be fine. So there's some people who like one-on-one, some people who don't, but, but it'll make both of them effective. Um, when it comes to, to feedback though, we get a lot of people telling us, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Right. I am uncomfortable with the idea of talking to my folks about how they're doing because I like them because I want to have a good relationship with them. And those of you who like having good relationships with your folks probably will shy away from feedback. But if you had said to us in advance, Mark and Mike, go out and do me a favor and find out what I need to do, we would have come back and we would have said the same things we're saying now. And we would have said it whether you liked it or not. The fact is, if you want to be a great manager or leader, the thing that really scares people, but nonetheless is true, is great managers and leaders talk openly, directly, frankly, candidly, almost politely in your facely, if you will, and frequently about performance. They're incessant about it. They're annoying about it. They do it so often. Others around them, new directs and so on. Directs actually say they get creeped out by how often and how er how early and how often they are talked to about how they're doing, right? Because they're suddenly being told, like literally suddenly, as in the first time in their professional life, suddenly being told regularly, daily, hourly, how they're doing and why. This was good. That wasn't. I like this. I like that. Right? It is almost nonstop. It is it is water torture after a fashion. And, and folks, let me just be real honest. Um, if you're a poor performer and you work for a great manager, you will fail very quickly, which is, in fact, a good thing. Right? And you're going to know why you failed better than, frankly, some of us who don't even know why we succeed some of the time right? High performing managers and leaders are, are death on performance. They say, look, either you perform or you don't. I love you, but you will perform. And if you don't perform, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say goodbye to you. People who, the directs, and by the way, every single part of the, the, the Trinity has been validated by directs. We didn't just build it for managers, although a lot of it is built one-on-ones and feedback are specifically built for managers, right? Their teams say they begin to crave information about how they're doing. Look, if you've read Jack Welch, if you read Larry Bossidy, you probably got the sense very quickly that if you work for them, and folks, if, if you haven't figured it out yet, they're as good as it gets when it comes to management. If you work for them, you would very quickly know where you stood. You'd always know where you stood. E even if you didn't like where you stood, you'd know it. Bossidy talks about candor all the time. And he even says, you got to be willing to have the tough conversations. And I got to tell you something, the vast majority of managers I know, my friends, 
people I barely know at all, my close friends, my dear friends as well. The willingness to have tough conversations is probably the most rare natural tendency of managers I know. Yeah. Tough, no-nonsense, combat leaders, uh, uh, dry as a bone, don't act as if they care about people at all, managers still shy away from candid conversations about how people are doing. Right. Yeah. And the sad thing about it, they even shy away from the positive conversations when folks are doing well. They don't share that as as well. And so yeah. lest somebody make the mistake that what we're talking about here is candid conversations only about negative events, that's not what we're saying at all. 90% at least of what happens in your organization is positive. And, and managers don't even give feedback about that, let alone right. the negatives. Yeah. 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 There's a story Jack Welch told in his autobiography about choosing Jeff Immelt. Um, this is 2009. So Immelt is the present CEO. When Immelt was chosen, about Immelt being chosen to succeed Welch as the CEO of GE. The story is really about the succession planning. In fact, it's in a section of the back of the book called New Guy. But frankly, when I read it, I thought it much more about a culture of relentless and, and actually caring. And you can be caring and relentless both. Immelt had been running GE's plastics division at the time and reported directly to Welch. And he'd lost a whole bunch of money the year before. And at the big annual meeting that they have at Book Raton every year in January, Welch took him aside and said, look, Jeff, I'm your biggest friend. But be, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm your biggest fan. But you just had the worst year in the company, the worst year. I mean, you stunk. Right. I love you, man. And I know you can do better, but I want you to know I'm going to take you out of your role if you can't get it fixed. And Immelt responded, look, if the results aren't where they should be, you won't have to fire me because I'll leave on my own. Now, this was six years before he was named CEO, folks, which, by the way, also proves for those of you who are deathly afraid of making a mistake that you can have bad years and lose tons of money and still end up on top. Stop fearing failure and seek success. You'll probably do better. But but think about that. Imagine that for a second. A rock star CEO having a direct and candid conversation. He's willing to say, I love you, man, and I'm your biggest fan. And then he says, direct and candidly, uh, somebody reports to him, you know, you're not doing what I need you to do, and I don't want to make a change, but I will if I have to. That's direct, that's willingness to have a tough conversation. And then and imagine you're direct responding back with exactly what a professional would say. And frankly, Mike and I and Wendy and Maggie want that ability for you now. We want you to learn it now because you can't get to be CEO unless you're willing to talk relentlessly, openly, candidly about your direct performance. You can't do it. You will not get the most from your people unless you tell them how they're doing. You will not. Okay. Uh, you don't have to wait to be CEO to have performance conversations like that all the time. And make them so common, frankly, that everyone expects them and wants them and doesn't shy away from them. Okay. And let me mention one other thing too, because I've said his name several times recently. I've gone back and reread Jack Welch's book. A lot of people who are listening probably have a negative reaction. Some people at least have a negative reaction to Jack Welch's name. Folks, let me just tell you something. You have been misled. If you have a negative reaction to his name, you have been misled by an uninformed populist media who pilloried Welch for the layoffs he led early in his CEO tenure 20 plus years ago at GE. The layoffs that he undertook were a sad result of poor decisions he hadn't made, his predecessors had. And he is known by his people for completely fierce loyalty to him and his team and the people around him, total love and devotion for the people he worked with, to them and their families. And, and they will also say, yeah, he's demanding. He's the most demanding boss I ever worked for. The guy drove us and drove us and drove us. And I loved him to death. 
Uh, and the fact is, if you're thinking, I don't want to be demanding, well, good luck with that. Because while we can't teach it, almost all great managers are exceptionally demanding as well. Yeah, definitely. But folks know this stuff, right? I mean, I mean, they, they, I think folks in, in their heart of hearts, managers know they have to have performance communications with their directs, but they don't do it. And frankly, it's because it's difficult. We don't like doing it when performance is less than we expect. It's a hard conversation. Right. right. Uh, yeah. We, we walk away from our duty and folks, it is our duty. Okay. It is. Uh, I know that probably sounds terribly old fashioned, but let's, let's be honest. The word exists for a reason and it's accurate here. So let's use it. We walk away from our duty to deliver candid performance communications because we're afraid of injuring our relationship, particularly when we're graded on retention, of course. And the other reason is because we're afraid of it on one case. And the other is because we don't know how most of us literally don't know how to talk to our folks about how they're performing. And the manager tools feedback model, which is our way, uh, it is the T the manager tools feedback model is the teachable equivalent of the fact that great managers communicate incessantly about performance. It was created to help managers overcome that second issue, which is not knowing how. And what, what ended up happening surprise to me, as, as once it was created, we have since discovered that with practice, it also helps us as managers, because of our direct responses, overcome the first issue, which is the fear. The way I describe it at a conference is there's process and content. The process is th- the model we use to teach and content is what you're talking with your direct about. In other words, the process is, hey, can I give you some feedback? When you, here's what, thank you. And the content is what they did and, and, and the implication of what they did or the impact of what they did, right? And, and managers are afraid and they end up getting the content and the process both wrong because they're having to learn both on the fly. Whereas if we fix the process down, you can memorize it and then you can get so good at it that it's second nature and suddenly you know how to do it. And then you've done it a hundred times and suddenly you realize there's no negatives with doing it a hundred times. I've done this thing a hundred times and there are absolutely no negatives and there's a lot of positives. Oh, gee, it must be a self-licking ice cream coma. I'd like more of those, please. And then suddenly you're over the hump and you do it over and over again. Uh, you know, the lack of knowledge and fear together kind of feed on each other and they make that hump of the horseman curve, the, the McGuire hump of the horseman curve, virtually impossible ba- based on data that we have that managers don't give feedback, virtually impossible to overcome. And too many of us simply walk away from chances to talk to our directs about how they're doing because we don't know how and we're afraid and it's too bad. And that's why the feedback model exists. Yeah. And that what's sad about this is that, you know, virtually every manager we've asked, I mean, 99 plus percent, at least right at a, at a, at a minimum, say that they want more feedback from their boss, even if it were negative. Right? Yeah. So to a person, they agree with the idea I'd rather know where I am if I'm in trouble than not know where I am, if, even if I think I'm probably okay. That's telling, isn't it, right? I'd rather know where I am if I'm in trouble than not know where I am, even if I think I'm okay. It literally, it, it, it is not so much where I am that's the issue for me. It's the fact of not knowing. Right. I would rather know I'm doing poorly than not know and think I might be okay. That uncertainty because of the risk of, my God, what if I think I'm doing okay when in fact I'm stinking up the joint, right? People just say, look, if I'm stinking up the joint, tell me now. Right. And they, right? So, yeah. so every manager says they want it, right? And you got to assume that their directs are just like that manager, right? So if they want performance feedback, then certainly their, their directs do. Yet because of the reasons we described already, they don't do it. 
Right. That's the crime here. Yeah. And effective managers, this is what we've learned, folks. Effective managers don't shy away from candor when talking to their teams. They over-communicate on performance, right? They're always suggesting. They're always tweaking. They're always encouraging. They're rewarding. They're chiding. They're pushing. They're holding people accountable. And frankly, after you get over the hump, their directs love it. They love it. They say, look, I, yeah, you may think my boss is hard because he's always telling me how I'm doing, but man, I got no surprises the way you wonder about it. Your end of your review, my boss and I are always on the same page. And frankly, the other thing that happens is I'm on the same page with my boss. And when I'm not doing well, he's not mad at me. We just have a candid conversation that I'm not doing well because that's what professionals do. The problem is if you don't give feedback very often, if the boss gets mad because his wife was was not polite to him that morning and he's got his knickers in a bunch, suddenly every direct thinks that they're in trouble and they made a mistake. How ineffective and inefficient is that, that because the boss is mad because of a personal issue, everybody thinks they're poorly performing. That doesn't make any sense. So look, and this goes back to make that point that we made about one-on-ones. We're not saying that every great executive follows the manager tools feedback model. Some do, but frankly, most don't, right? I'm pretty sure Bill Gates doesn't. And, And frankly, the great ones, for the most part, don't need it because they've fought through their fear and have come up with their own way to talk about performance. The thing is, they have their own way of talking about performance. The problem is, the problem in the world is not the great managers that are doing it. It's that most managers, of course, do nothing. And again, the best of us talk about performance all the time. And one way to do that, the teachable equivalent we've come up with is the manager tools feedback model. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing about the the manager tools feedback model, I think it surprises folks at conferences, is that the feedback model wasn't created for the direct. It was created for the manager, right? To make it easier on the manager. Yeah, I got to tell you that that was a, a it's a real interesting to see who who wants to argue that. Oh, this is great. Finally, I have something to make it easy for my directs. And 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 Mike, you're the one usually at the conferences who says, "No, dude, this ain't for them. It's for you." Right. Right? Yeah, it's to make it easy for you because you're not talking to your people all the time. And then they say, "Oh, well, I'm not talking to my people because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt their feelings." No, you're no. That's not it. No. Really not. <laughs> you just don't have a way of doing it. And, and if that were the case, and, and and oftentimes it's the tough guys who say that. Well, yeah, you're not that interested in not hurting your people. You're just, you don't have a right way to do it. And you're afraid of looking stupid in front of them, doing something new for the first time and getting it wrong. When in fact, if you said, folks, I'm going to try to get better. It's going to be ugly for a couple of weeks, but over time I'll get better at it because I'm human and humans learn really fast. Uh, your team will think, wow, isn't that gutsy of him or her to actually say I'm going to get better at something and that means I'm going to be, at first, my performance is going to go down before it goes up. That's gutsy. That's confident. That's not lacking confidence. That's wow confidence. So yeah, your directs can handle positive and negative feedback, positive and negative feedback. They're okay with knowing when they messed up. They're okay hearing about it. And frankly, most of you would want that from your boss. So get over it and give it to your directs. And if you need to know a way, a way to do it, that's where the, the manual feedback model, that's why we created it. The teachable equivalent for performance communications. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. And we'll finish up this series next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long. So long.